Welcome to Life on My Terms, a podcast dedicated to helping you become the best version of yourself and take charge of your life. In the podcast, I sit down with experts in health and wellness, all the way to relationship, career, and life advice. My goal for each episode is to empower you to be your best self, become 1% better every day, and achieve everything you want in this thing called life. You can do this. Now it's time to believe in yourself and build your life on your terms. Let's go. Welcome back to Life on My Terms. I hope everybody is having a wonderful day. Today, I am really excited to chat about a topic that sort of came to me after getting an influx of nurses and teachers and um, folks just in the healthcare um, industry in general that were desperately seeking burnout help. And the more I started to see this trend, the more I started to look and it is out there everywhere. There are states um, declaring state of emergency for nurse shortages. Um, Teachers are literally leaving in the middle of the school year. Principals are having a hard time, you know, day to day, just managing the stress. And so it's really interesting when we look at these service roles and we start to ask ourselves, like, how does one manage the work stress, but layering in that people component, knowing that you're responsible for other people. And when we see these school shootings and we see, um, things like COVID happening, um, there's a real compassion fatigue that happens before it gets really, really bad into those stages of burnout. And so today I'm actually speaking with um, a remarkable gal, Annie Schlott. She is um, just amazing. She has sort of been all over as it relates to um, that empath work, Um, a social worker, um, she's been everywhere. And so it was really interesting to get her sort of insights on the, the real, like what's going on in that mindset of like trying to save the world and trying to live a life um, without burnout and compassion fatigue is sort of the first stage. And there's a lot of different, there's a lot of specific um, tips that she gives to try to help people, you know, compartmentalize the work of serving others. And so I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Um, So let's jump in. Hi, Annie. Welcome to Life on My Terms. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, this is going to be a really, really interesting topic of conversation today. Um, But before we get started, I always have the guests just do a little bit of an intro. Just tell the guests a little bit about who you are. Sure. Um, you know, that's that dreaded first interview question. <laughs> um, you know, you pine over, which, what should I say? What, what do you really want to know? Because I could go anyway. But um, 
So yeah, I've been in the social work field for about 20 years. I hail from a small town in Pennsylvania. I moved to Florida about seven years ago. Um, single mom, divorcee, um, trucking through life, um, trying to figure things out the best I can. Um, and, and I really wanted to, in this part, talk about when we talk about social work, I don't want to, I have, I'm not a licensed social worker, so I never want to put those letters on my name. Um, I always say I'm an advocate, um, but I'm in the social service field and have been for 20 years. So yeah, that's me in kind of a nutshell. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, I, I bring you on um, at this time because as you know, in the news, like all you see are these sort of like service, these, these ones that are directly related to care in some way. Um, these folks are like in droves leaving their careers. We're talking about teachers, social work, um, nurses, even it's even starting to bleed into like physicians, which right. you start to go to yourself, like really a physician, but this is starting to be a common theme. And so I know that I am particularly dealing with this with lots of folks. And so I think understanding it from your vantage point today is going to be really interesting. And before we sort of look at like compassion, compassion, fatigue and burnout, let us know. I would love to know a little bit about your path to social work. Sure. Like, why did you pursue it? What right. was sort of those heartstring moments that right. led you there? Yeah. And um, so it's really interesting. I have always, looking back to my life, I've always been this per this empath, right? I didn't know what that was when I was younger, you know, but I was always that person that wanted to fix everything and help yeah. somebody. And, you know, um, and so when I was going through high school, I thought I wanted to do, I wanted to be a lawyer. So let's put that out there first. I wanted to be an attorney. And, but I wanted to help people. I wanted that part of being an attorney. That's what my vision was to, to make policy changes and to really, really help people. Um, and so then I took some psychology classes in high school and that was an interest to me. So I got to college and I took, I, I ended up going into criminal justice. That's where I, I didn't know where to start. I'm a first generation college grad. Didn't okay. really have a lot of guidance of what to do in college, where I was going. My parents are great. They just, you know, didn't experience it. <laughs> So I got to college, did this criminal justice, that's what I entered, and I took an intro to sociology. And I was like, I love this. This is what you, sociology, I didn't even know what sociology was. I thought sociology and psychology were the same thing, pretty much. And they're not, they're so different. And I fell in love with sociology, learning about people, mm -hmm. learning about culture, behaviors, why somebody does what they do. Um, and that was so interesting to me. And so I ended up getting a degree. I ended up getting three degrees just because I was so interested in it. Um, and so I took this one. And so I started on this, you know, all these sociology classes and I had a professor and we still talk to this day. Dr. Rhonda Matthews, I have to give her a shout out because I know she'll be watching this eventually. I took an intro to marriage and family class with her and she pulled me aside one day and said, you're going to change the world. And I was like, what? You know, and she's like, yeah. And it's crazy. What, and I'll go into my career path. But she said, I bet you you're going to open a nonprofit and help women and children. And I'm like, OK, you know, all right, cool. You know, I'm 18 years old and trucking along. And that has stuck with me because that has really been my career path. Um, and that is really what my calling was. Um, so I went through college. Um, I have three degrees, criminal justice, sociology, and women's studies. I have a true passion of helping vulnerable populations, misrepresented populations. I stand up for those that just can't stand up for themselves or don't think they have a voice. I don't know where that came from. I just, it's just inside of me. It's always been who I've been. Um, and so I started working at Crime Victim Center. It's in Erie, Pennsylvania. I was an advocate um, working with restitution. I wasn't even really working with like the, the touchy feely stuff. I was working with 
property crime and getting their money back. So I was asked to do an on-call shift um, for, for any on-call sexual assaults in the area. I took it. And those clients kept calling and saying, well, we want Annie to be our therapist. We want Annie to be our counselor. And that wasn't my role. And they created a role for me. And then the, the rest is history. I fell in love with working with survivors of sexual assault, domestic violence. I got into human trafficking. And so through that path of being an advocate, I you know, took steps back. Looking back, I had reached some compassion fatigue. I can put a name to it now. I didn't know then. I knew I still wanted to help people. But that day in and day out was overwhelming. So I, you know, I pivoted a lot. I, I did a lot of mental health counseling. Then I did drug and alcohol. I did. Um, I was a liaison doing assessments in the jails for Marchman clients for the judges in Hillsborough County. Um, so I pivoted, you know, but always still trying to touch on and helping people. And I've always just been told, and I know I just have a knack. People open up to me, and so then I end up getting people talking about their trauma, right? When we're talking about mental health or we're talking about drug and alcohol, how do we get there? Usually for some kind of trauma that's happened, you know, people don't wake up and say, Hey, I want to be a drug addict. Mm -hmm. Something's happened in their path that has led them to the choices they've made. And that is just wildly interesting to me. But my heart and passion is in advocacy for survivors. And so that's where I went back to. Um, so I ran some programs in some counties in Florida. Um, I also touched upon child welfare, which is probably the highest burnout we'll see in social service, mm -hmm. um, myself included. That was my last position. And that has what was the cherry on top for me. Um, and so I, I, I got to a position positions where I was a director and a manager and I was I had made it in my mind but I was miserable. Mm. I was miserable because then I could see what help we really weren't doing, mm. <laughs> what, what disservice we really were doing, what resources we really lacked. And I knew it when I was on the ground <laughs> doing it, but being behind the scenes and um, yeah. And then I just came to a time and it was enough was enough, you know, 20 years of this. And it was like, I can't do it anymore, which is unfortunate, but um, that's where I was at. No, that's a, that's an incredible story that you just told. And I have multiple things I'd like to unpack, but sure. it actually brings me back to my first teaching. I was a teacher before sort of moving through my path. And I remember my first long-term teaching position was in Hillsborough County, low socioeconomic kindergarten class. I would say 78% of my class was in foster care and you know, you started every day just starting to trying to get some normalcy in these children's lives, right. like some structure, some rhythm, knowing that no one was going to, you know, there's no one to call. No one was coming for teacher right. parent days. But by the end of the day, the last hour, you know, you finally had some structure. I was able to teach them something. And then right. I just remember every single day that pressure of being like, I'm the one that has to teach them. I'm the one that has to change them and help them and support them. Then to come back every day and do the exact same thing, that feeling of knowing I really wasn't actually getting anywhere. And it's, it is so impossible when you start to allow that feeling to like, you're in, I mean, I cried every night. Absolutely. I was like hysterical. I was using all of my, my entire paycheck to like, buy things for these children. Yep. And so I guess I just want to unpack something you said earlier. You said you had that professor who said, you know, you're going to change the world. And I right. think a lot of times when teachers and social service and nurses, they go into their role, they have that mindset, Absolutely. like 
change as possible. And so before we start to dig into really like compassion fatigue, where was, where were you teetering back and forth in your journey to be like, I'm on a mission to change the world. And then Annie's going, I don't know if I can change the world. Right. You know, I can't pinpoint when it first happened, but when it did happen, I know it happened a lot. And I mean a lot like daily or weekly. Right. But it, you know, I was thinking about when we talked about coming on here, you know, I always used to, you know, I've gone through my own mind shift of things, of, of how I view things. And when I used to view things, it was like, I want to be that person that someone calls upon. I wanted to be the person that didn't need a lot of sleep. I wanted that call in the middle of the night because you know what? I wanted to be somebody to somebody else. I wanted to be important. That was success to me. I wanted community partners to know, hey, we pick up the phone. Annie's going to do what we need her to do. and She's going to do it right the first time and we don't have to worry about it. And that's a reputation I wanted and that's a reputation I built. So I don't remember the first time it happened, but it happened almost every day. But it was like, but what are they going to do without me? I know uh-huh. they need me. You know, who, and, and here's the thing, if, if <laughs> I'm kind of jump on this because I laugh, but if I was really that valuable, then I pay me the money then. Because you know what I mean? We are getting paid pennies saving the world. And so I'm like, how valuable was I really, you know, and it, and it, it really, I wasn't, somebody could have done the same job I was maybe not to their liking, but it happens so often daily. Like you said, I go to bed crying. I wake up when it really, really hit me was a few years ago when I remember every single morning and I am not exaggerating. I promise you on my children, every single morning I woke up and I figured out, I tried to figure out a way to not go to work. I tried a way to say something to my superior that would be believable that I didn't have to work that day because I just couldn't do it. And every morning I wake up, I open my eyes and that would be the first thought. And I'm like, this is unhealthy, but I didn't know what to do. You know what? I loved what I did. I was fulfilled in one way. And then the other way I was drowning, completely drowning underwater. And who do you talk to? And you know, the old school of thought, and I feel like it's slowly changing and we are not there yet at all, um, is I can't go to my superior and tell them I'm drowning. They're going to say I'm not capable, which I knew I was capable. I just needed a time out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's not acceptable. As much as organizations, especially in our fields, say, take care of yourself, self-care, it's BS. It's BS. It's what they have to say, but they're not doing it. And you're losing people like me, like yourself. You're losing really great people to the field because it's not matching. Their words and actions aren't matching and you're losing people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know if I answered the original question, but it it was all the time, you know, and I would go in these spouts like, what else can I do? I can go be a banker. I can go into insurance. I'm smart. I can figure it out. I can go back. I can go to hospitality. I'll go serve. I love people. I, I'll, that's where I'll do my customer service and helping. And I would go through these spirals and these these things. And I would just never pull the trigger. You know, I go back. I'm mm-hmm. a single mom. I had two little eyes, four little eyes looking at me saying, we need to pay the electric bill. You can't jump. You know, you can't jump right now. Yeah, no, what you what you describe is like typically what I hear, whether somebody's working in a tech company or they're an admin assistant or the the thing though that's so different, I think, for from your vantage point and some of these other like um really care 
like you have you have the um the empathy that's yes. needed for somebody else constantly is that you really do flirt with the fact of like taking on the burden of not being present for like who else does that person right. have i mean i can't imagine sometimes like i remember in marketing for instance i would always have these clients that were calling me at 9 10 11 o'clock at night telling me that this email that i had to send out was immediate and and the thing i would always be like is like we're not in the emergency room. <laughs> I am not going to, somebody's life is not in my right. hands right now. And I think that's the real big part here is that somebody's life is 100%. in your hands. And I yes. can imagine times in your career probably where you probably thought, oh man, if I'm not available to speak to this person, they could go kill themselves. Like they could commit suicide. Like we don't know. Yes. And so I think there's an added pressure. So I would love yes. to segue into comp compassion fatigue right. because Obviously, that is something that I think a lot of folks are like constantly battling on and off and maybe yeah. even constantly before yeah. they hit like rock bottom burnout right. time. Right. And so the really great thing about great thing to know about compassion fatigue is it could happen the first time something some trauma is presented to you. And we look at that, not we, society looks at it as failure. You know, well, you're not cut out for this job. And I'm guilty of saying that as a supervisor, you know having somebody, you know, I talked to talk as well. I, I, I was guilty of that. I would do this spiel. I want you to take care of yourself. If you're having a bad day, let me know, communicate. And then I'd get that call. I can't come in today. I am not good. And I get off the call and in my mind, I'd say, she's not cut out. She's not cut out for this. And, and I catch myself and I was so angry at myself and I'm like, holy crap, that's the problem. And compassion fatigue happens and it, it, it's quick. It can be quick. It'd be your first case, your first client. Or it could be, I know, I remember the one time I had, when I was working in sexual assault for a for decade, you know, a long, long time, I had seen brutal, horrible things. I had worked cases with the state attorney's office, things that would spin your head. And I remember this one case, and I even hate saying this when I say this story, it was just your normal acquaintance sexual assault. There was nothing brutal. There was nothing crazy about the story, but it has stuck with me for 20 years. And I don't know why still to this day. And that's the, that's the thing is recognizing that. And I remember thinking, well, I can go to my boss. I, I can deal with all of this. How would I go to my boss? Like this simple se sexual assault is really heavy on me. And that's where I started realizing compassion fatigue doesn't have to be this crazy thing that's happened. It could be one trauma of hearing somebody else's. And the other problem I think we have is we all have our own traumas. Yes. And, you know, we sometimes don't even know how to work through our own traumas. And then we're just piled on with everybody's trauma. And like you bring up a great point about being empathetic. And that's why I've been so successful in my career. But that's why I have also left this career. And that shouldn't happen. It should just shouldn't happen. There should be there should be we should be figuring this out by now. Um, and I don't you know, I always say I don't know what the answer is. Um, yeah, it's wild. If you think about people struggling with burnout in their own shoes, and then you think about being an, an empathetic service provider where you are inside of other people's shoes, maybe five times a day and still struggling in your own shoes. What does that feel like? Right. And I, you know, again, I am not good at science or any of that, but I've done enough research to know what trauma does to a brain, very surface level stuff. So I always try to, when I'm talking about trauma and compassion fatigue and all of this, 
illness and how it affects us is I talk about physical trauma, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you break your arm, your arm's never going to be the same. You know, you get a deep cut, you have a scar, you know, that stuff is never going to be the same. It's the same thing about our brains. And so I joke, like, I would love to donate my brain to science when I die because I have my own trauma, which has altered it. Then I have everybody's, like you said, five times a day, you know, times 20 years, that that takes effect on your brain, a true effect. We're not talking about feelings. We're not talking about mental health. We're talking about trauma to the brain that has now shifted how my, our brains are. And that's a serious problem. Yeah. So, I mean, it's incredible. And I, I assume, you know, I assume there's like a level of compassion fatigue, like you mentioned, that's going to be present and sure. you hit the nail on the head when you're like, you know, you need to be aware of it and like, know that like you can process it, like take the time. So mm -hmm. then I wonder like, what did the journey look like now to stepping into burnout where it's starting to really affect your health, your um, deteriorating probably in other facets of your mm -hmm. life. And, and what did that look like for you? Yeah. And so I know they say burnout, burnout does happen over time, you know, that you don't just come into a halt and you're yeah. like, oh, I'm in burnout, right? You <laughs> no. know, it's not that easy. Um, So if I can look back at my journey, I've probably been in burnout probably for the last 12 years. Yeah. Um, And I think about the way my friendships or my relationships have gone with other people and they're not healthy. And most of it's my fault. Um, and a lot of people who don't know me, who know me surface level are like, gosh, Annie, you're so happy and you have a great outlook on life. And I'm thinking inside, I'm like, you have no idea who I am. You have I no love idea. that. Because Everybody always says that to the folks that are so burnt out, like success is great yeah, for you. Yeah. You are so, you bring such a great energy. You're such a good vibe and you have so much fun. And I'm like, I'm dying inside. You have no idea how angry I am. And I always say that like, I'm a, I am ai was a very angry person for a very long time and it was taken out on the people who, who I love the most, my kids, loved ones. Um, and so, yeah, that burnout stage for me took so long because I didn't know what to do. I knew I was drowning, but I loved what I did, hated what I did, knew I didn't have a financial backup to, to make any kind of crazy change. Um, I was a, a fortunate enough to work my way up which is hard to do in social service. You know, there's usually one manager and one director and I've been blessed to be both. Um, what do I do with that? Although the salary is not anything to write home about, what was I going to do? Um, and so it's just, you gotta, you gotta keep trucking along. You gotta figure it out. And I think about a year ago is when I made the decision to start making changes to really leave this field. Mm -hmm. um, it was just the overall sadness. And I remember I'm a crier but I don't do it often. But when I do, it's, it's very, very meaningful. And I, I'm going to kind of jump when we talk about therapy, you know, when you say it out loud, it makes it real. So I didn't yeah. talk about any of this to anybody, you know, maybe my coworkers who experienced the same thing, you know, we knew what we, each other were going through and then, you know, you truck along. I don't think my loved ones really knew what was really going on inside of me because then it would make it real. And I wasn't ready to make it real. And about a year ago, I made it real. I started talking and I realized how sad I was and how angry I was. I was miserable and there was nothing to be miserable about. I had a, a great life. Uh, you know, I, there was, you know, I, I had it all, but I was miserable and I had nothing more to give. And that was the first time I said that out loud. I knew for a long time that I was pouring out of an empty cup, mm -hmm. um, but I said it. I said, I'm coming home. 
and I'm, I got nothing. I got nothing for anybody. And then I became this, like over time, you just become this fake person. Okay. Put the face on, you're happy. And you're just not, you're just not. And the people who are seeing it and who are, it's affecting are the people who you love the most. And, um, I know one of the pivotal moments I had, um, I was on my way to vacation. I was driving down 275 about a year ago. We were going to Siesta Key. And I had um, a child protective investigator supervisor call me. It was Friday evening. And they were dealing with a domestic violence case. They were removing some children. Um, pretty, pretty bad. Um, and they, they needed me. And at this time, I was a manager. I had advocates that were on call to do this. But, you know, they needed me. He called me. And, you know, and that's like that patch. Like, yes. I, I'm needed. You know, they all had my personal phone number and that's the way I wanted it. I had no boundaries and I wanted it that way. And he called me and we go up, to, you know, we go to this. I said, Hey, I'm, it was in St. Pete. I said, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to Siesta Key. I'll, I'm driving right by there. I'll swing by. I'm not, I don't look professional, I'll, but I'll, I'll stop by. I'll help. And, um, I look at my boyfriend, we park and I say, keep the car running. He's like, what do you mean keep the car running? I said, I have no idea what I'm walking into. I said, I know I'm going to be safe in there because I'm going to be with officers. I have no idea what's going to out here. Keep the car running. You see something, leave. I'll be okay. And in that moment, I said, what am I doing? Like, I'm putting my partner, my children mm-hmm. at risk for this, you know? And uh, that was the moment that I was like, this is not okay. This is not okay. I can't be this to everybody. And very selfishly, nobody is this t- for me. I didn't yep. get this back from anybody. Nope. You know? And that's when I said, okay. You know? And so it was a slower process. I wasn't like, you know, the next day I quit. Um, I had left that and got into child, back into child welfare. And I was at that time, um, a new organization had taken over some circuits down here in Florida. Um, and I was the the director of family preservation. And my job was to keep kids, to build programs, to keep kids and their families and keep them out of the foster care system. Oh. <laughs> that was my, that was my job. And um, yeah. And so that was, that was the icing on the cake. And I said, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do it. I can't take on this anymore. I don't care if I have to make $12 an hour. I don't care if I'm have to live in my car. I'm not doing this mm-hmm. anymore. I have to be done. And that's where I am today. Done. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's so, gosh, that is, uh, gave me goosebumps a few times. Um, I think hearing this, it's amazing how many moments you had of awareness where you're like, I can't do this. This isn't right. But it's so amazing how we just keep going on. And I assume yours was fueled by that need to help. And so it's like, how can you possibly separate? And so I'm really proud of you that you actually made the action plan to remove yourself. And now you're, you know, thriving in a whole new part of your life. And that's great. But how did you separate from that need to serve that you've had so deeply ingrained inside of you? I'm still figuring that out, to be quite honest, you know, Um, because I do have just this knack, you know, my kids joke, we'll be grocery shopping and I'll be in the worst mood and somebody will unload. It'll be like a therapy session. You know, we're walking in Publix and and my daughter's always like, Mama, like, why do people always think you care what's going on in their lives? And I'm like, I don't know. I do something about me. I don't know. So I. I think I need to capitalize on those moments that I, I touch lives in different ways. That is just not so heavy on my heart. Um, 
I think eventually I'll get back into some kind of volunteering. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to take me some, some time to really heal myself. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Here's the thing. People who are empaths and who want to help people, that's just who they are. I don't need to do it as a career. I don't need to do yes. it as a job. You know, I, I can do it for my neighbor. I can do it for, you know, friends. I, I can be that person where it's a lot more meaningful and not, not to sound selfish, that I get something back. I get a friendship. I get a relationship. You know, I get something back from it. It's not just so give, give, give. That is probably my favorite thing you've said this entire episode. We, I think women tend to be, we're a little bit more cerebral and we're caregivers by nature. And yeah. so we tend to just have this uh, societal like stigma that we just give. That's right. it. And right. a lot of times when I'm doing like coaching work with folks, I'm kind of like, who are the energy vampires in your life? Like who's actually taking energy from you and never giving it back? Right. And then when you start to see these folks remove themselves, you're, they're like energized and feeling so great. And you're like, yes, because now you have the people that give it back. Like you right. need to be in surrounding. So I'm so proud of you for being aware of that and taking charge on right. that facet because we forget that. We need we energy back. Yes, yes. We are so scared to be selfish as yes. humans and as women. Um, I don't want to make this a woman versus man, but at, like you said, we are naturally caretakers. And yeah, and we're, we're scared to be selfish. We're scared to tell somebody that I need something more and you're not giving me enough and it's not working. Um, we're just, I personally am ingrained to just keep fighting, keep fighting. We're going to keep mm -hmm. fighting until it works. Um, and I can't do it anymore in every yeah. aspect of my life. No, I, I, I don't think anybody out there yeah. can. It's no. not fair either. And especially funny. having this one life, you're kind of like, why would I be doing that? Right. And, and it's funny you say that. I'm, I'm so glad you said that we have this one life. And I, I'm, I'm divorced about eight years now. We have a great co-parenting relationship. He'll probably watch as well. Um, but I remember when I, I was the one that le left the marriage and I said to myself, we only have one go at this we only have one life to live. We don't get a redo, right? And so if we're not happy, career, relationship, whatever, gotta make that change. Because I, I did not want to be that person at 80 years old saying, what if? And, you know, a mediocre life. There's so much yeah. out there. There's so much out there for everybody. And it changes. Um, and so I always yeah. say that when you said that we only have one life, we do. And it, sometimes we just watch it go away you know, and it takes over us. And so I just, I made a, I made a point years ago when I got divorced, that same, that, that same feeling. I only have one go at this. It's so true. And you're, you're totally cool with the lessons learned. Yes. They, they mold you and they yes. shape you. And so it can't be all like sunshine and rainbows, no. but yeah. you're right. Like we have to, I, I, the funniest thing is, is I, I love when um, folks are, they're like, okay, well, I'm going to do this boundary for myself, but actually I can't do it for this person or this right. person. And I can't change my mind. And you're like, yes, you can. Yep. You can also change your mind. So yep. even though you just told that person, yes, right. guess what? Yep. You can go back and tell yep. them no. Yep. We do. And, and it's so, it's so interesting how we do, we put, we put ourselves in these like, okay, well, I've got to be here for everyone else first. Then I'll be here for myself second. And I'm going to say yes, because this person will feel, you know, they'll feel bad. And so just, I think sometimes, you, you know, this journey you've been on, you've sort of been stripped of those rose colored glasses too. And, and that's the interesting part is, is that the resilience that's built when we work through this stuff, it's like, uh, when you hit 
rock bottom, you don't want to, but you have that moment of like, I need to change right now. It's a, one of the most beautiful moments it is. because you're like, I'm going to change right now. And it yep. might not be today, but in hindsight, or, you know, I am headed towards change right. and that feels so good. Right. And so people, myself included, are so scared of, of change, right? It is scary. It's, I get it, but it's beautiful. I don't think we're not everybody. I could, I could make a a, a good fight that nobody, but I hate using absolutes. Nope. Nobody is meant to do and be the same person they are for the entire lives. There's no growth in that. And some of those changes are hard and hurtful and tough. And, um, and that's why I always say I'm a complete open book. There's, I've been through some things in my life and I'm not scared to talk about any of them, even if it maybe puts me in a bad light. Because you know what? There's somebody else that has done or dealt with the same thing and they appreciate some honesty. And I, I get why people want privacy 100%. That's just not me because I know my story or something I've been through, somebody else is going through and it'll normalize it and it'll make it be like, you know what? I'm not as shitty as a person as I really think I am. You know, no, I am a good person. I might've done something a little shitty, but I'm good. And you people battle with these things. And I, I just want to be that person again, saving the world that it's okay. It's okay. We're not, we're all not perfect. And we all know that. And we're all going through this. We're all going through the things and it's okay to talk about it because you're going to find some kind of normalcy and some kind of, you know, building of relationships or of whateverness um, to help you get through it. And that's okay. That's great. Yeah. Two things there. I mean, we've all worn Band-Aids. We're just wearing Band-Aids sometimes, you know? Like we all have flaws. We have all of Band-Aids on. They heal. We grow. We move past. And that's yep. it. And we and that's the beauty about being human. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's just, it's just so amazing that you've actually redirected your empath need in a, such a healthy way by just being like, hey, I'll be transparent. Yep. So if I have an opportunity to share something, I'll yep. share it. And that's great because you, yep. you never know the two or the 10 or the thousands of 100%. people that are like, I needed to hear that today. So yeah, that's great. Exactly. exactly. Probably less traumatic for you too. It is. So one thing I really want to dig into now is like, I think, I think folks in, in this sort of a, a field, like there are going to be folks that stay in this career till the end of time. And that's fine. It's probably yeah. their calling and their purpose. Yeah. And that's great. And there's folks like you that are like, you know what, I'm going to just try something new and I'll probably make my way maybe back to volunteer, etc. But for the folks that are staying in their career, and I only mm-hmm. say this because I think this week I've seen like four articles where there's like state of emergencies because they do not have enough nurses. Mm-hmm. So if you were to think about some tips yeah. of nurses, teachers, just anybody in the service, like empath type field or role, like what do you do to protect yourself and still do the job that you're very passionate about doing? I think what's really important is simply you have to walk what you talk, right? Mm -hmm. So I had always said self-care. I never did it. You know, I think that's important. Um, and not the fluffy way, like, oh, you know, go take care of yourself. No, really take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, we say the things we need to, like, I need to exercise, I need to eat right, you know, all those things that are great for us. We know what to say, but really doing them. And I have to say, I think my biggest mistake, and I think most people's biggest mistakes is not holding to their boundaries. I know what boundaries I needed yeah. to do, but it wasn't worth 
what I viewed the success that I wanted to achieve, I would have, I would have gotten there if I still would have held some boundaries. I promise myself that. And I promise anybody listening, they're going to be as the same success that they were boundaries or not. I, I promise them that. Um, and I think boundaries has to be one of the biggest things we have to do. And yeah. it's a struggle, you know, like you just said, you know, well, I, well, this person really needs me this, you know, no, no. It's leaving the phone at home. It's turning the phone off. It's dedicating time to yourself because not to sound corny or hokey or whatever, at the end of the day, if you're, if you're done, then you are of no use to anybody else, nope. you know? And so you re- the boundaries are so important. It's the saying no's and being okay with saying no's because that's still a struggle for me. Saying no hurts my heart because I just want to be a yes person. I don't want to ever disappoint anybody, even strangers. Um, but being okay saying no and that we'll move on. And if that person is not okay with the no, then that person's not a healthy person in your life. And they don't really care about what's really going on with you. And that's somebody that I'm saying, start cutting people out of your life, but then you know kind of where you stand with somebody. And if they can't appreciate a no and that boundary, then you know what? They're not somebody that's positive for you. Yeah. I'm a big fan of boundaries. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And they're they're hard. I mean, they're, they're, it's one of the most impossible things that I, that I face daily, you know, um, I, this morning, you know, I've told my son, just, if you miss the bus, you're missing school. I'm, I'm done with you sleeping through your alarm, but I, I take him to school every day that he misses. And it's hard for me because there's consequences. He misses class and this and that, and I don't want to. Well, I stopped doing it like two weeks ago. He's missed four days in two weeks. Sorry, bud. You're going to have to figure out how to make up this work because mm-hmm. I'm not adjusting my sleep patterns because yes. you don't know how to wake up to your alarm and get on the bus. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it. And it's those things, you know, and I've, I've been called selfish sometimes for those kind of decisions and okay, I'll wear it. But it's those kind of things, those little things that just mean something to me. That extra hour of sleep, I need, I need, and mm-hmm. he knows it. And I don't want to get out of bed. And I don't, I hate, I hate saying using my son as an example, but it's like, that's a boundary, dude. And you have crossed it for years and now I'm done. Well, it's a, this is a perfect example, I think, of what you said earlier about how you can sort of like protect yourself if you want to, if you're staying in this career field in any career, right? So the boundary protects you. Right. So you're protected and you, what you believe in and the things you need are protected. But the other side of the boundary teaches others how to, you're training them on how to treat you. And I think when you're in social work or you're in these other jobs, hell, when you're in any job, we start to train people to treat us certain ways. And the next thing you know, the 11 PM email is actually my fault. It's not the client. I taught them that that was okay. Yep. Yep. And uh, speaking of parenthood, that's exactly what my kids had told me one time. I remember, you know, my partner saying like, why don't, why blah, blah, blah. And they're like, cause they're like, you want to be on, you want to be honest? Cause we know she won't follow through with a, we, she won't follow through with. Yep. And it's true because I feel so bad. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want them mad at me. I don't want them disappointed. You know, that I'm trying to be a friend and parent. Yeah. That those days are over. Um, but I wasn't, I didn't follow through and they knew it you know, same thing that those CPIs, those, I have detectives still this day. I used to work for a police department, which I forgot to even mention. I have detectives still on my phone that call me to this day. I've state attorneys that call me to this day 
ooh, I got a, I got a tough victim. Can you, can you come work your magic? Well, that makes me feel good, but you're right. I have taught them that they can call me when I have not worked for them in five years and I'll do it. I used to be, do it. Yeah, sure. I'll cancel whatever. Let me come help you make your case. But again, again, selfishly, I have never called any detective and asked for anything. <laughs> I've never called a state attorney and said, hey, can you do me a favor? No. So you don't, there's just, there's not that mutual relationship. And you do, you teach people that how, how you're going to, how you're going to respond to them. So yeah, yeah, you're right. It becomes our own faults. 100%. Yeah. What other, um, what tip do you have maybe for like being able to decompartmentalize the really tough stuff yeah. in these types of fields and then not letting it totally bleed over into like, how do you leave yeah. Leave it at the office. Right. That's one thing I can say that I was pretty good at. And I don't know how or why. Um, am I just, I think I just had a, a career of sadness. You know, mm -hmm. there was no, I've never had a happy moment in my, in my career. Our happy moments were a conviction or an arrest or, you know, those things. That's nothing to celebrate, but those were our happy moments. And so I learned early, early on that if I was going to stay in this career, the true meaning of work has to stay at work and home has to stay at home. And although I did let it bleed with the phone calls and stuff like that, my emotions and my feelings, you know, I, I was always nervous that I was going to keep my kids in a bubble. I saw all this horrible stuff going on in the world oh, and yeah. I, you know, and that's where I try to, I can sometimes feel myself being a little, Ooh, that world is nasty out there. Let me bubble you to being like, you know what, just because you see all, you see all the nasty doesn't mean all the nasty is happening right now in your child's life. So I, I think that's just a mindset and that takes work. It really does. It takes a lot of convincing, um, but that's what goes into the compassion fatigue and in the burnout, because how, how do you just shut it off? How do you shut off that you just left somebody who was just beaten to death or you left a family who just had their son killed? How do you not, okay, work's done for the day. Yeah. Okay, what's for dinner? I, know. I don't know. It's well, what I mean. Yeah. I'm like, well, how do you yeah. do it? Yeah, and, and I think that's where where I did want, you know, I did it, I just shut it off to other people to protect them. It never really stopped for me. How can it? We're humans. Mm -hmm. You know, I, we always joke and I, I did this my whole career, probably up until about five years ago, you know, superheroes aren't the only ones that wear capes, right? And that was a badge of honor, you know, social workers, nurses, yeah. they're superheroes. That is the worst thing to say yes. because we're not superheroes, we're humans, mm -hmm. but that's the, you know, I'm going to just shut it off. I'm going to protect everybody else around me and I can deal with it because I'm superhero and I can truck forward. And I did, but not everybody can. And you, but you have, I mean, you have to, you, you cannot sustain in a career without shutting it off. And it's, it's going to therapy. It's talking to trusted people, you know, it's doing the work for in, within yourself, taking the time, you know, when I say self-care, I, it's not going in a pedicure. Yeah, you should do that too. But it's really taking care of yourself, whether it's, you know, spiritual, whatever. Yeah. It's something way deeper than, hey, I'm going to read a book for my 20 minutes of self-care today because that's not going to do it in these professions. It's not going to 100%. I promise you that. It won't. No, um, you have to make the shift of being the help to saying, I need help. Um, and that's a really, that's probably an active thought that you have to change in your mindset. Like I need help too. And I need yeah. to go, I need somebody to help me process these emotions because, you know, it's so interesting when I'm sure even in the medical field, 
you have to you're trained to like respond so calmly, like, right. Like all that, all that, Oh my gosh, the family members like my husband and you, okay, calm. Let me take them to the emergency room. Let me go through your like robotic practices. The thing people don't realize is, is these folks are still human and that anxiety is in them still, you know, (laughs) probably the highest anxious people in the world. We, I joke because I, I, I am a little bit of a spaz, but you would never know it when I was working. Right. Never. I mean, it baffles my mom. Like what you, you, you're known for crisis intervention. You, (laughs) you know, because that's not, that's not who I am. You know, that's not who I am. But when I'm in my, it's just, yeah, I do. Listen, I know what you need. You still have to process that, that some it's, it's gone. It's not going anywhere. It's just either aiding in cortisol levels and your inflammation in your body or nightmares, who knows what it's going to manifest itself as. Right. And the other thing I wanted to touch upon, you know, I knew this was, this was helpful for me. Self-talk. I was, Uh I I, I still, I battled this self-talk, you know, would you allow anyone to say what you say about yourself? And the answer is hell no. Someone told me I'm very guilty of like, I'll do something and I'll make a mistake. I'm like, Oh God, you're so dumb. I'm not, I know I'm not, but I do that all the time. And would I let anyone else call me dumb there? No, not if they want to see the next day. Absolutely (laughs) not. You're not calling me outside my name, but our self-talk is I think terrible the way we we talk to ourselves. And I view myself when you said about needing help, you know, we need help. You know, I view that as weakness. If I need yeah. help, then I'm weak. But I don't think that about, and if you told me you needed help, I wouldn't view you as weak. I didn't view my clients as weak. I think my clients who needed help were the bravest and strongest people on this planet. They recognized and they took the step to get help. And here I am thinking I'm weak because I need help. And it's like, no one's going to view you as weak, Annie, just like you don't view them weak. So like that, that correlation of how we treat clients, we need to treat ourselves the same exact way. Because I know nurses, teachers, social workers treat their clients like those are their kids, their sisters, their mothers. And that's the way we need to treat ourselves. Ah, that was a beautiful way to end because, yep, that is sort of how it needs to be. And it is, um, I think sometimes it just takes stopping for a second and having that, you talked about spirituality or those self-care moments. Sometimes just that moment of solitude. It's like, if you just take five minutes and ask yourself, what went well today? Yeah. What really made me feel terrible or isn't serving me today? Just imagine right. the things you could uncover. Sure. And then like you said earlier, once you're aware and you say them out loud, they then can move into change. But you right. cannot take action unless you are aware that they could be problems. Right. And, you know, in the last thought, leaning on the people who care about you, right? You know, my partner and I have started to try to get into when we wake up or when we first see each other, what do you need from me today? And I what can I give that. you? You know, because every day is different. Like I could wake up in a great mood and you're like, you know what I need today? I need to go to the beach and sit in the sun. Or maybe it's, I need to, you to just not talk to me for a couple hours. I need, you know, every day we need something different. So not unloading our trauma and our stuff on our loved ones, but, but leaning on them and, and telling them what you need in a day. And I promise you that will, that will help probably your relationship. Um, and they'll get an insight of, of what you need and who they are and who you are and how you kind of work and go forward. 
You know, that is, um, that is the one that's so great. I, uh, I remember when I was also, when I was in like super thick of burnout, health was not well. Um, and I was just still putting that smiley face mm -hmm. on and getting through the day. I had a similar, um, scenario, like you mentioned, every single morning I woke up, it was just immediately dread of the day and how I didn't want to go into work. And like, was there any way I could rearrange my calendar, or push things off? And right. I just listening to you say that I'm like, if I had a practice with my husband, where when we woke up in the morning, if he had even heard me saying these things over and over again, I think I could have taken off like eight months of some of the terrible um, yeah. depression and alone feeling I went yeah. through. Right. Especially if your partner isn't in the same kind of field, which mine isn't, has no clue, um, you know, yeah. and, you know, then they get the bad, the bad snap, you know, at 3 p.m. Yes. Yes. You know, and they had no idea that I woke up feel, you know, yes. and it's not fair. It's not fair to yourself and it's not fair to them, you know, and if they have no clue and then they just get the, the bad side of it, you know? So, yeah. Uh, well, you have shared so many perspectives <laughs> today. It's, it's just been re really, really refreshing. And, um, that's not to say somebody out there that's not in, you know, a service focused career, um, we can't diminish their burnout, but I just love that you've offered some real tips for folks that are and how they can start to have some sort of um, take control of their lives. Because I'm sure in these roles and as a teacher myself in the past, you know, you almost are living for other people all the time. And so getting that, per, you know, taking that back means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So where can listeners get a hold of you if they have questions oh. or just want to reach out? So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, my name, Annie Schott. Um, and then my email is AMS3553 at Gmail. Again, I am no expert. I didn't study this stuff, just lived it. I would love if anyone had questions or just wanted to chat. I am open ears and, and will be available to chat through anything. I love it. We will link it all up in the show notes. And Annie, thank you so much for yes. taking the time and know that you've done such a service today just by thank sharing you. your story with other people. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. Yeah. Have a good one. Bye. You too. Bye. I loved talking to Annie today. It was fantastic. Um, I think a couple of just Real quick recaps of the episode is that, you know, the clear difference between compassion fatigue and burnout, right? Compassion fatigue is going to happen with more rapidly with an onset, right? It's got a quick rapid onset. Burnout's going to emerge over time. So it's, again, it's dealing with these unmanaged bouts of stress in that compassion fatigue stage that's going to lead you to burnout. Um, Annie said it. She said, you know, I almost felt compassion fatigue like on day one. And so just to recap a few tips for managing compassion fatigue, find someone to talk to is the first one. You hear Annie say that multiple times. Understand that the pain you feel is normal. Make sure you're taking care of yourself. Exercise, eat properly, get enough sleep, take time off. That is also like one of those ones where we feel like we don't get time off because we have to be there for everybody else. But the truth of the matter is you need to exercise those days off. Develop interests outside of the workplace and, and kind of remove yourselves and then try to figure out what's really important to you and also figure out how, what's it going to take for you to be 
separated and compartmentalized from this? Like, how do you leave it at the door? And I think um, one of the things that Annie sort of uh, alludes to is that awareness is super important. So just being aware that the the compassion fatigue is set in is like the first step. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. So thankful to have Annie join me today. If you have any questions, please connect with me on Instagram at Life on My Terms podcast, or you can send me an email as always, info at personalbestcoaching.net. This is your life. Live it on your terms and let's try to live it burnout free, shall we? I will chat with you next time.